You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Yeah, and we're going to continue on in our uh, series. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> we... Uh, going to continue as these summer letters, and we're in the passage 1 John 3, 11 through 24 this morning, and the title of this message is What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that's there's just too little love. All right, pretty good. Not too bad. All right. Not too bad. We better stop before the music police show up and arrest us. Okay. So I want to start out in this passage, 1 John 3.11. And this kind of gives us the, the heart of what John is wanting to say here. 1 John 3.11 says, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. Clear, simple, direct we should love one another. If you don't get anything out of today, I want you to go away and say, what was Pastor Steve trying to say? We should love one another. That, okay, so that's very clear. Now, what it helps us to understand when we uh, try to get our heads into what this epistle is about, First, Second, Third John, um, sometimes seem a little bit scattered in, in the thought process. And what helps is to understand that John is actually writing to two audiences. The first audience is known as the Gnostics. And that was uh, a group of people that took some of the Christian doctrine and changed it. And so about the time of 85 to 90 AD, when this was written by John, this was a big issue because the Gnostics were saying there's this dichotomy between spiritual and physical and that's how Jesus came, was purely spiritual, just he really wasn't physical. And therefore, we can live any way we want to in the physical. We can do whatever we want. And so John is speaking to that audience saying, wait a minute, guys, whoa. And so he's speaking in very sharp contrast. Have you noticed that in these passages? There's, you know, this, these contrasts between light and darkness, between life and death, between truth and air between God and the devil. And, and so here today we have this contrast that's very sharp and strong between love and hate. So that helps us to, to understand there's times when John is just very strong, very direct. If we should have no sin in our life, you have sin in your life, you're not a believer. But then he's addressing another audience, and that's the believers. And so he's encouraging the church throughout the whole area of Rome and the beginning church, saying, now, you have to understand that there's also grace, that we should not sin, but if we do sin, we have this one that we can come to. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sin, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you have uh, kind of these two audiences, and that helps you. And we see that in this passage. So he starts out in the first uh, section, he's going to talk about the hate section in verses 12 through 15. Then he talks very strongly about love, verses 16 through 18. And then there's the grace, 19 through 24. So let's keep that in mind as we go through the passage. So let's start with the first sharp contrast with hate, uh, a heart of hate. And so John just jumps right into it in verse 12. And he's, he's 
illustrating our broken world. We see that. You can see in your handout kind of the thought process of what he's trying to get at. It says, do not be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So here's those sharp contrasts that he's trying to, to paint. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So what we have here is kind of this uh, microcosm, of this picture of what uh, is going on in our world, and we certainly have a history of seeing the results of hate. I mean, I don't have to go into trying to prove that. We, we see that throughout mankind's history. And he's saying, this is where it started. So he is going back to the beginning as a story of Cain and his younger brother, Abel. And I, I am conservative in my Bible views. I believe these were literal physical people that actually live. The story actually happens, not just an illustrative story. It's a real story. And so here you have these two brothers who uh, were worshiping the Lord. Good thing, right? And so the, uh, the younger brother, we'll start with him, he gave to the Lord the first of his flock. So he took his best lamb and sacrificed that as an offering to the Lord. It says that Cain gave of the fruit of the field. So uh, perhaps some of the worst. Maybe he gave the Lord a couple of old shriveled rutabagas and some giant zucchinis. You know, the stuff you can't hardly give away. You know, we don't know for sure. But it seems like his heart really wasn't in what God was saying. And I believe God had instructed both Cain and Abel in what true worship was. I think he knew this. And he was kind of worshiping in his own way. And as a result, God said, I'm not pleased with your offering. And so the result was Cain began to pout. And God says, I see your countenance, you know, what's going on here? You need to uh, kind of think about what you're doing. And then Cain's pouting turned into sulking, which is a little bit deeper pout. It's kind of like, I'm just going to make everybody know that I'm not happy with God right now. And kind of display that in my demeanor. And then he started to stew. So we need to beware of pout, sulking, and stewing. Because that kind of begins to brew this poison in our spirit. And God said, Cain, look, if you just repent, we can get this straightened out. And he refused to do that. And so it was kind of a rebellious act that turned into a slow burn, and then finally murder. It was the first murder and the first death recorded in the Bible. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if Cain realized the results of what would happen, but sure enough, he did that, he carried it out, and, and I believe he probably even justified it, as we often do with our shortcomings, our sins. Well, you know, Abel was kind of, he was kind of smug, and, you know, he had it going, and this world's not big enough for both of us, and somehow justified that. But ultimately, I believe he was angry with God. And so there's this, this lesson in here of how sin can come into our lives. And so we're going to see our broken hearts as well. Not only our broken world, but our broken hearts. Because all of us have been affected by the sin nature. 
All of us have inherited that, and we have that bent toward that. And so we need to understand this world operates in the same pattern of this carnal thinking, of, of sinful way of, of thinking, and this broken heart of ours affects how we think. We compare ourselves with others, which we shouldn't, but we do. And the result of comparing ourselves to others is uh, one of two things will happen. Either you will begin to feel inferior because you look at that other person and they seem to have more talents and more going for them, and it seems like God has given them more, and therefore you begin to envy as a result, or you begin to feel superior, like, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good, I'm doing better than that person, which leads to what? Arrogance and pride. So the result of comparison always leads us in the wrong direction, and, and you can see that, has that played out in Cain's life. And it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, addresses that. It says, love does not envy, addresses the envy, love does not boast. It addresses both of those results of comparing ourselves with others. And then there's a little bit of a a chain reaction. So out of that comparing, then we begin to say, God, if only you would give me these things. If only I had this career. If only I had that uh, you know, that Lamborghini, if I only had this, this item here, this house, and we, you know, begin to say, you know, if I just had a couple more things here, then my life would be so much more complete. And, and then we begin to kind of stew in that, like Cain did, and say, you know what, God, life is unfair. This is not fair. And what do parents always respond when kids say, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Okay, we all... We all read the same book, right? And life's not fair. And, and sometimes, you know, we just think, you know what? We begin to question God's goodness. And we might have this faith in God, but we're not quite sure if he's giving us the best. God, are you holding out on me? Why don't you give me more things here, the things that my heart longs for, that other people have, and God, you don't seem to be good. And then we take matters into our own hands, and that's where the problems start, just like Cain uh, develops into sin. And so a bad reaction in our lives from our broken hearts. And the second thing is not only wrong thinking in that, but our broken hearts affect how we respond. You know, envy envy is a heavy burden to bear. If you've ever had to deal with that in your heart. And I think uh, my guess is all of us have had to deal with this. It's a little bit of a sneaky little sin. And sometimes you just don't realize it's there. But I would compare it to drinking a little bit of poison every day. It's not enough to maybe kill you, but it's enough to make you very sick. And, And out of envy springs the other things like hate, and, and even murder in the case of Cain. I would compare envy to the fertilizer that's poured onto the roots of sin, that root of bitterness that the writer of Hebrews talked about, where he says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up 
to cause trouble and defy many. And so that bitterness spreads. It can spread to those around us because we rehearse these things. We're envious, and this person has hurt us. We want to stew, and we want to tell people about it. And boy, you just can't believe what this person did and, and how bad they were. And, and so we kind of spread that bitterness around. And it reminds us of the passages we saw in James. There's a couple. You see the references in your notes. Uh, all my references, by the way, are NIV 84. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. One other passage in James we saw in our last, in our last series. But if you harbor bitter, bitter envy and selfishness, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. See, earthly thinking, it's unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find every disorder and every evil practice. And oftentimes we resent people who are totally innocent as we saw in the story of Cain and Abel. But it flashes into so many areas of our lives. In, in your notes, I wanted to read this paragraph. Hate becomes, at, hate becomes at best indifference or avoidance of another person. At worst, hatred becomes disguised in other words, such as contempt, disdain, prejudice, and other evil names, which are nothing but synonymous of hatred at work among men today. And, and so I believe that's true, that, you know, a skunk by any other name smells the same, that we, you know, the hatred stinks in our lives, and we need to say, you know what, that should not be a part of my Christian life. Those two things cannot belong in us as believers. And so, so we kind of say, let's put this behind us. And like I said earlier, this one is a hard one to admit. I have never in a prayer service ever heard anybody get up and say, pray for me, Pastor Steve. My heart is filled with envy. You know, it's like, thank you. Oh, there's somebody <laughs> confessing right now. So, uh, yeah, so we sometimes uh, we have to kind of say, Lord, show me. Show me in this. And we need to examine our hearts in this. And so now, John switches gears, and let's talk about what's much easier to talk about, love, what the world needs now. And so he's going to talk about the origin, the essence, and the blessings of love. So let's start with the origin of love. We see that in verse 11. He says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. It's interesting that phrase, from the beginning, has been used prior to this time here six other times. I mean, it starts right out in the first chapter talking about from the beginning. And what he's reminding them of is their beginning, their Christian beginning, their first love, their, their passion of coming and seeing their hearts change and transform. And I think there's something that is significant in that, saying that it's possible as believers to start out great on this path of serving Christ, but sometimes we get hurt and things frustrate us, 
and we kind of question God, and that kind of seeps into our spirit, and so that's why this is so important to just be reminded from that time of beginning. Now, does the world have love? Absolutely, yes. I, I think that there is certainly love displayed uh, in amazing ways throughout the world, even from those who aren't believers. But I think there's a limit to that. And I, by the way, I think God's the source of that. I think, you know, that just that uh, appreciation for the value of love, you can kind of help people to understand that there's a God. Where does that come from? And so, so that is kind of this reminder that, yes, God created this, but in our fallen nature, we're limited in our love. We love people who love us. We kind of have this ulterior motive sometimes. We, you know, we love something that's going to come back our way and bless, bless us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And so that is a picture of how we love as humans, but what John is saying is now we are called to the highest form of love, not just brotherly love, not just caring for, for people who care for us, but a love that is, is signified, we see in verse 14, he says that is signified as we have passed from death to life. In other words, your love in death was limited, but your love in life, in his life, when he came into your heart, that's when the transformation started. And in ourselves, we begin to change and love people with unconditional love, with his agape love, God's love flowing through us. In myself, I can't do that. I can't forgive all the hurts. I can't love people as God has called me to love. But the amazing thing is with God in me, I can. And we can do this. It's amazing to see the transformation that happened in John, the author of this epistle. He was known as John, the son of thunder, James and John, the brothers that were known as the Thunder Brothers. And I think it was because they were, they were the youngest. John was the youngest of the two. And I think he was kind of, you know, sometimes you're in that, you know, 18, 19, 20, you kind of got the world figured out, and he was kind of very vocal about it. And the son of thunder, when he show up, it was just, you know, became, he kind of took over everything. And also, James and John were the same brothers who wanted to call fire down on the city, that had rejected Jesus. They asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down upon this city? And Jesus said, uh, guys, no, that'll be okay. Don't do that. You know, gotta, we have some things we got to learn here, guys. And so this is that John that's known as John the Beloved who became the apostle of love. And there's this amazing history. If you follow his life of how he served the Lord, so faithful. He was a church father that influenced the church for generations to come. And so that is a picture of this beginning love that came into his life, began to transform him, and God is transforming us as well. Next, we see the essence of that love. So we see the origin, now we see the essence of that love 
in verses 16 through 18, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Verses 17 and 18, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or in tongue, but with actions and in truth. So here you see John still in that kind of stark contrast, you know, just like painting these very clear black and white drawings saying, dear children, let us love with words or tongue, not with just words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So what's the essence of love? Very easy. What's the one word that we usually are, are right in when we use as an answer? Okay, well, let's work on that. We've got to, Pastor Dwayne's been working on this with all of us. What's the essence of love? Jesus. Right answer. <laughs> but you look at Christ. I mean, what, what greater example? who not just said he loved us, but he lived it. You know, think about this. Jesus gave his blood, literally gave his blood, his sweat, and his tears for us. He sacrificed everything. He gave everything so that we can be set free from that sin nature, that hate nature. He suffered for us. He fights for us. He fights with us. He is there with us in our court saying, I have given you everything so that you can display this same love. I came across this saying, you may give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Isn't that good? You may give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And you have to give of yourself to truly love people around you. We are called to that. And, and sometimes we think, oh, you know, Pastor Steve is is trying to get us to do something for some stranger out there that I've never met, uh, probably some guy that is, you know, completely down and out. Okay, I get it. I have to go love that person. I would suggest you start with the person next to you. That's where God has put you in proximity to people that live around you, like your husband and your wife and your family and your neighbors, and your work associates, and people here at church, and, and we do this. And I just want to say to Shoreline Community Church, you guys are amazing. This church is amazing. I don't feel like I have to get in there and pound this, and come on, let's get going. Let's get doing something for other people. I mean, the sign-up last week was amazing to say, let's go love our, our community, and, and let's be a part of that. Thank you for your response to that, and jumping in and helping. And in and, and, a thousand ways. I see this over and over. When you give to missions, you are feeding hungry people in Seattle. You are doing something about the needs around us and around the world in amazing ways. And so we are doing this. I don't want to uh, make you feel like, oh, I'm coming up short in this. But there's times when God is stirring us to say, hey, we can do more, I think. I think we can do more. You know, sometimes I think that when it comes to this idea of, you know, kind of laying our lives down for somebody that we have to go look for some big heroic moment where, you know, we, we go to Africa and we live in a, in a hut 
for three months, and uh, you know, just like we do this this thing that is just giving away everything we have all at once. Then we're kind of done. But I would compare it more to you're carrying around a bag of coins in your life, and you're giving away 50 cents here of time for somebody. You're taking some time to listen to somebody. Here's, you know, here's a little bit. Here's some change of your time. And, and that is what's happening all the time. You're just giving of yourself a little bit, little pieces. And so sometimes that's harder than saying, you know, here's the whole bag. Take it. I'm done now. Now I can go kind of enjoy my life. But it's like we are called to be giving ourselves away all the time. In the early church, I wish I had time this morning to talk about the model that the early church displayed. The early church lived this out. And they rescued the children that were left abandoned, exposed. And they did something about those who died without any kind of family. And they, they were giving of themselves. And I, I took a course last year in school, the early church. And it was just so amazing to see the dedicated love of these early Christians at this time. They were heavily persecuted. By 85, 90 A.D., they were severely persecuted by the ten waves of, of the persecution that were happening in the church for the next few hundred years. But they continued to live it out. Okay, and as we find uh, the next section, the blessings of love, verses 19 through 24, this is kind of where Paul switches. So we've seen these stark contrasts, once again, of hate and love. He's saying, you know, if you don't do these things, you're not a believer. And, and so... He's, he's trying to kind of wake up those Gnostics once again that are living sloppy and just doing whatever they think is right. He's saying, no, that's not how we live as believers. We are called to something much greater. Now he switches gears. Now he's talking to the believers in verse 19. He's saying, okay, um, let me give you some grace here in this situation. We see that the first component of these blessings is reassurance, verses 19 and 20, reassurance. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I think we're all cut out of the same cloth in the sense of how many of us have felt condemned at times? We feel like we need to be doing more. Am I the only one? The rest of you, the rest of you have arrived? Okay. I, okay. Like in the area of prayer and reading the Bible, don't you feel like, oh, you know, I need to be doing more. There's, uh, I think there's more I can do. Second area is in dental hygiene. Don't you always feel like there's more? You should be brushing and flossing more and water pick more. You know, talk to Dr. Barnes about that. He'll help you in that area. I'm not going to help you on that. But in the third area is, is this compassion where he's saying, if you see a brother in need, if you see somebody in need, how can you not help them? How can you just walk past that? And there's times, you know, we kind of struggle with that. It's like, uh, you know... I have some money in the bank, and I know that I probably should just drain it and give that away, and, 
And we feel a little bit condemned sometimes, and we can get the wrong message in that. But I'm here to report to you, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So God is not wanting us to live in that sense of guilt and condemnation. Just do what he asks you to do. Just be faithful and obedient in those areas that he has called you and in the areas of where people have need around you. Realize, and that's what this passage is saying, that reassurance, don't feel condemned by this. So believers, uh, you know, just realize that God's amazing love is flowing through us. I wrote in my notes, as rivers of God's unconditional love flow from our hearts, our hearts are reassured of his unconditional love for us. So as you love people with that unconditional love, then it, it opens up your understanding like, wow, to understand how much God loves me. It is, it is liberating. I don't have to walk with that sense, oh, I, I'm not quite measuring up. It's all him. It's all him and his righteousness. That's how I measure up as I have received Christ in my life. And we can walk in that sense of, God, I'm doing what you're asking me to do, and I don't have to live in that condemnation any longer. The second component or blessing of love we find in verses 21 through 23, and that's confidence. Listen to this. He says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is the command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. And so, so it's this daily adventure. Saying, how can I trust God? As, as love is poured through our lives, you begin to say, boy, I need more. I need more grace. I need, I need to see miracles. I need to see your hand moving in my life. And you begin to pray for that. And you begin to, like the Circle Maker series we did a couple years ago, say, I'm going to believe God for some big things here and, and step out in faith. And it's exciting um, Laura has been sharing some of the prayers that God is stirring as they've been praying for each other at the PRC, and it's just amazing. It's, I love to hear how God is moving, and so there's that confidence in us saying, how can I boldly move forward in my faith, and as love kind of stirs all that up and produces that confidence. And then finally, we see Christ's abiding presence. Look at verse 24. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my father and, my father, and we will come unto him and make our home in him. So that's amazing. By the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, abide in us, in our hearts. Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. And so that I think none of us realize what that means, the full extent of what that means. 
I, I could talk for hours trying to get us to understand, and I, we would come far short of what that means to have the Trinity abiding in our hearts. But just meditate on that. What does that mean to us, that assurance and that confidence and that presence of God, these blessings that are flowing from this passage, saying, look, church, there's this wonderful thing that is happening as we truly love and pour ourselves out. God is pouring himself in us and reassuring. And I think all of these items are the antidote to envy. I don't think it's an accident that John put these things in connection together in this passage, saying, don't envy, love each other. If you love each other, here's what flows out of this, this assurance, this confidence, and this presence of God. That changes our hearts to say, you know what? I have been blessed. God is in me. He dwells in me, his presence, and realizing that God cannot love me any more than he does already, that there's nothing I can do to cause him to love me less. There's nothing I can do to cause him to love me more, that he loves me with his perfect love already, right now. And that is that, that assurance in our lives so that we don't have to second guess, say, God, are you good? Uh, why have you blessed others? We don't question God. Instead, we thank God. We thank him for all that he has done in our lives. And so that heart of gratitude is a good way to get rid of envy. Just be appreciative, saying, Lord, thank you for what you have blessed me with. What helps sometimes is when we have opportunity to pour ourselves into a mission field in our city or perhaps in a third world country where there's deep, deep needs and you realize, oh, I am so blessed, so blessed. Those kinds of trips will change your life. We're looking at a trip next year to the Dominican Republic and working in that kind of situation, helping us to say, boy, I'm so blessed. We'll be sharing more information about that. I'm going to have the worship team come on up this morning as we conclude. How many like stories from history? I, I do. I, and there's something, I don't know why, I, I always, uh, I'm very interested in stories from World War II. And, and I thought I'd heard pretty much all the great stories and, and read about. But this week I came across another story that I had never uh, heard before, and you can see some of the names up there. Uh, it starts with Jacob Deshazar. He was a member of the Doolittle Squadron that responded to Pearl Harbor by flying pretty much uh, like a suicide kind of mission into uh, responding to Pearl Harbor, bombing Japan, and then they knew they didn't have enough fuel to get back, so they, they flew as far as they could into China. Uh, well, uh, Jacob Deshazar's uh, unit, his plane had been hit and uh, wasn't flying very well, and they had to land, and they landed in enemy territory in China that was owned, controlled by Japan, and he was taken captive. Three of his fellow uh, teammates on his plane were shot on the spot. He watched it before his very eyes. One of his best friends uh, died over a slow time with starvation, and so he was bitter. He 
uh, he describes he was filled with hate. I mean, if you take what John is saying, here's a heart of hate. This was Jacob. He hated his captors, and he was, he was aggressive back to them, and he was in solitary confinement almost all the entire time. Well, after uh, kind of a, a work of God, he requested a Bible, and they, they gave him uh, a Bible to read for three weeks in his solitary confinement. And he started to read the scriptures and realized his heart was so empty. He was filled with so much hate. And he realized he needed a change. He needed a transformation. And he gave his heart to Christ. And he survived that camp. He became a model servant after that. He began to learn Japanese. He began to love his, his uh, captors with a pure love, with the love of Christ and responding back to them. They didn't quite know what to do with that transformation they saw in his life. After he got it, he was set free. Uh, right after Hiroshima, they uh, parachuted in to Beijing, set him free. He went back, came back to the U.S., came to Seattle Pacific, at that time Seattle Pacific College, we know at university, studied for ministry, and felt called to go back to Japan to be a missionary to the city that he had dropped bombs on in the Doodle Raid. Dedicated his heart to responding to the needs of the Japanese people and loving them with that unconditional love. Isn't that amazing? The difference between hate and love. He wrote a track. And so the story doesn't end there. It goes on. One of the, the leaders by the name of Misitsu uh, Fukudi, uh, uh, Fukuda? Whatever, okay. Just pronounce it however you want. Was, he was the, the captain in charge of Pearl Harbor. He orchestrated the bombing and um, led that whole mission. And as we know, the rest of the story, everything that transpired there, but he was a hero in Japan. But he was empty. He came back from, from that war, survived, amazingly survived uh, several circumstances. And he began to search. He came across Jacob's story in a little track and was interested because here's this man giving himself for the Japanese people. So he read it and he thought, there's something different in this man's life and I don't have that. So he found a Bible and he read the story of when Jesus forgave those who crucified him on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was absolutely blown away by that kind of love. Never had seen that or even heard of it. Gave his heart to Christ. And there's this amazing story of history of how he committed himself as a believer. And you see one of his, uh, the posters from Pearl Harbor to Calvary is his story of how he followed Christ. You know, it's this amazing story that continues on and on and on. And I, and I would be amiss this morning as we close 
if I didn't mention that you have opportunity today if, you know, and I don't know all your stories and all your backgrounds, but perhaps you have never received that grace of God into your heart, which we desperately need. Our hearts need transformed. We can't do it. We can't be good enough. And it's only by surrendering to Christ and what he did when he sacrificed himself on the cross. That is the only way we will receive this transformation to be changed from hate to love. It'll change your life. It'll set you free. It'll change your course. And so I want to encourage you as we close together in prayer. I want to encourage you to respond to that. We're going to have prayer teams. If you guys can take your, your place on the sides. We also have prayer teams in the balcony. And as we close this morning, we're going to have communion. We're going to have times to pray. So the prayer teams are there There's no hurry as we close today. Come and share in communion. Celebrate what Christ has done in your heart. The good things he's doing. God is going to do greater things in your life than he's ever done before. So let's kind of step out in faith. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you for that. Let's close together in prayer. I'm just going to close and then I'm going to let Michael close this out. I'm going to, uh, just so you know, Laura and I have a shift across the street to make slime for Jesus. And uh, so we will be heading over there in just a minute. But I want to close this out with a good prayer. Father, you are, your love is so amazing. And Lord, I, there's times I feel like I'm just scratching the surface to understand how, how great your love is for all humanity, how great your love is for those who don't know you, how much you desire for every heart to turn to you. Lord, you, your heart aches for that. That's why you came and gave your life so that we can be set free. And Lord, I, I thank you that we as the captive can be set free and we have been set free. Many of us in this place can testify of what you have done in our lives. It's truly amazing. And that walk continues on. But Lord, I pray in this challenge of your word, Lord, that we're given these, these strong pictures of what a believer should be like. There's times, Lord, that should stir us, say, I need to do more. I need to love more. I, I need to pour myself out in a greater way, Lord. And that's a calling. And I thank you that there's no condemnation, that you give us that assurance Because it's totally you, Lord. You will pour through us. Let us just be surrendered in our lives, Lord. And and I pray in my final thought, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never surrendered their heart to you, that this would be the day that they would respond to your message of grace, that we would respond and say, Lord, I need that hope. I need that change. As we heard in these stories of history, Lord, you're still doing that today. You're still working in mankind's heart, in human hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we give you all praise, all glory. Let's stand together as we close.